Let's just begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to look at some practical applications of education. And I pray that you would um, just be here, that you would anoint my words and give me the words to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm, I'm actually very glad to see that this is a small group. You know why? Because we're here for an agriculture conference. And education is just simply a natural byproduct of, of agriculture. Um, but I'm glad to see that people are, are focusing on agriculture. But I'm here to focus on the agrarian life and what I would say what I have seen firsthand, the applications. And I wished that I could have seen it all in reverse. You know, if we could have just seen to go back. Um, I'm a teacher by training, and so I came at the homeschool model very much as I, I was taught to teach. And God had other things he wanted to teach me because he made my time and ability so limited to teach in the way that I would have naturally done it um, that he forced on me true education, if you can say that. It was sort of forced on me, and I resisted it for many years and kept feeling like I was robbing and depriving my kids. But time, ha time tells the real truth, and the real truth is that an agrarian life gives the best and the most balanced and the most whole education that I believe one can have. I have a story I want to share with you from this marvelous book called Councils on Agriculture. <laughs> I wish that this story had been available to me years ago, but I think it has particular in interest to you because it happened on this very soil in Australia. Um, it's about a brother Colston, and I might be pronouncing his name wrong. I meant to ask somebody first, how would you pronounce this? But that's how I'm pronouncing it. So this is when Mrs. White was actually here, and her son Willie, William, was with her. So let me read this to you. W.C. White saw Brother Colston, a new convert in Australia. Nis he saw his necessities and borrowed eight pounds from our, our blacksmith and loaned it to him that he might make a beginning. So just get that picture. Willie White goes to the blacksmith to borrow eight pounds to give to Brother Colston so he can have a new beginning. And all are glad and more than astonished to see the beginning he has made. About 12 acres have been cleared and planted with sweet potatoes and field corn. The sweet corn they will eat and the field corn they will sell. The vegetables that have been grown help a great deal in supporting the family. The little lads are working with their father like little farmers. They are so earnest and full of zeal that it is amusing to look at them and see how happy they are in their work. They have not so much society because of their own families, because of their own family connections, but they are in 
the very best school they could be in. Imagine that. I love that. These little lads with their dads, they're so full of Zool that it's amusing to look at them. I can picture that. It goes on to say, we feel thankful to God for what we see and we shall encourage those who come into the truth to take up land which they are, can cultivate and so sustain themselves. Wow, if I could have been encouraged with those words 20 years ago, um, I wouldn't have tried so, I wouldn't have resisted so much the agricultural life, sorry. Um, but you have to start where you're at, and isn't that wonderful that God takes us from right from where we are. So, true education and the agrarian life. Why the garden? God knew what was best all along. The garden places you and your children where you are surrounded by God's creation. That is just the the simplistic perspective. Why the garden? I have to work two of these things, I guess, here. Education means more than the mere study of books. It is necessary that both the physical and mental powers be exercised in order to have a proper education. A quote here. I forgot to delete that part. <laughs> You'd think they would make it intuitive to delete that when you put a quote in. <laughs> anyway, that's from Signs of the Times. Education means more than the mere study of books. Um, we've seen that. Here's another one. When in counsel with the Father, before the world was, it was designed that the Lord God should plant a garden for Adam and Eve in Eden and give them the task of caring for the fruit, for the fruit trees and cultivating and training the veg vegetation. Useful labor, labor was to be their safeguard, and it was to be perpetuated through all generations to the close of Earth's history. Isn't that interesting? When I was when in council with the Father before the world began. So the garden has been something that God knew we needed from before time began. And there we see to the end of Earth's history. So that's a little bit of why. Why the garden? Why but I think why the garden is because that's the place that we can commune the most intimately with the Lord. And I can say that whenever I lose my, my inner peace, my uh, spiritual equilibrium, the place that I go is to the garden. Or if I don't have the garden, I go to the beach. <laughs> Your beach is amazing here. Ah, oh, We live very far from the beach. So that was... That's a very special spot. All right. So I just want to talk about some of the practical, the practical whys. In the garden, 
you naturally learn the balance between faith and works. You don't even have to try. If you don't do, if you don't plant the seed, you're not going to reap the harvest. If you don't cultivate, you're going to have weeds. You just naturally see this cooperative work. And when you see it in nature, then you can apply it to your spiritual life. God can do nothing to save us apart from our effort. But we can do nothing to save ourselves apart from his power. So it's this beautiful cooperative work that we see in the garden that then we can apply to the spiritual life. The results of neglect or forgetting are quickly seen. (laughs) So I could tell you a lot of stories about this. Um, One I'll share One of our boys, and I think it was Joshua who is, he's our farmer. This is him in the picture. Um, He decided he was going to grow tomato starts. And we start them in a very small soil block, and we use kind of, it's kind of like a little incubator. You put a lid on it, and you water them a couple of times a day, and they kind of steam, and it just gives them enough heat and moisture to get them started early. This is before summer, so he was starting them in the late winter, early spring. You know, they have to be watered twice a day. And they're such tiny little plants that if you forget, there's not much recovery, which is just what happened. You forget, they were forgotten for a whole day, and John noticed them. The poor little plants are all just laying flat out. You know, you can come in and you can try to revive them, and the most resilient plants will truly revive, but most will not. But again, what a spiritual lesson. People, too, some are more resilient. Some can handle more neglect or more hardship. Um, and others can't. So, the, the line or the connection between, wow, that's a huge fly, between cause and effect lie very close in the garden. Huge. Um, so we just have to, we, we can learn. We've had many experiences ourselves where we neglected in the early years and where we, re- the, we reaped the consequences of our neglect. Another time, our boys um, decided that they were going to grow corn. And just as it was ready to harvest, um, the raccoons found it. I know you don't have raccoons, but you have possums. The raccoons found it, and they took it out while the boys were protecting it. They actually took the dogs, and they were going to you know, do the march around the field and keep their crops safe. Well, they fell asleep and the dogs fell asleep and the raccoons were very quiet and they made off with most of the crop. (laughs) So, another practical why, idleness isn't an option. When you are in an agrarian life, there's always, if it's not seeding, it's weeding. If it's not weeding, it's harvesting. If it's not harvesting, it's marketing. If it's not marketing, it's putting it up because you couldn't sell it at market. There's just this never-ending, perpetual need of (laughs) working, which 
can get old, but we've also learned that it's okay to throw things on the compost. Because <laughs> sometimes we need to slow down. Wherever it is possible, I guess I need to move you too. Oops. I moved myself. <laughs> All right. This is Caleb when he was little. See, we start him young. That's a, that's a little gator, we call him. And it has a little dump bucket on the back. And he's carrying strawberries from the field to the barn. Now, do you imagine that that was very helpful to us? No. But it's, um, he was helping. He, we, we taught him young. You, you know, you need to learn to work. So you learn from a young age that life is about learning to enjoy work. And for boys, that means that they have to have some um, mechanized contraption to help them. <laughs> I know, because all of my boys are kind of similar. So, if it takes a little something to drive the strawberries from the field, that's all great. So, another why is that it just, it keeps the family together. The agrarian life is a huge blessing to the family. Wherever it is possible, parents should have a piece of land connected with the home that the children may learn to cultivate the soil. How many beautiful and valuable lessons may be drawn from preparing the ground, sowing the seed, and tending the growing plants. So it's not about farming for a living, but it's about the fact that everyone who's a parent should have a garden where they can connect their children with the Creator. Life skills. Boy, this is a big one. The life skills, and I just have a short list. The life skills that can be learned from an agrarian life are unnumberable. And I'm sure I haven't even realized all the things. I mean, I, it's, it's a very common thing for me to say to our young men, how did you learn to do that? I mean, how did you ever think to do that? Or how did you ever think you could do that? So one of the first things is common sense. You want to learn good common sense, um, get behind a hoe. It's a wonderful place to learn common sense. And I've seen it. Young people who grow up in the garden have a real common sense. Not to say that others don't. I think common sense kind of tends to go naturally with some temperaments, whether they grow up in a garden or not, but common sense can be learned in the garden. I would say that. Common sense can be learned in the garden. Logical, concrete thinking. You know, so many times there is a need for, okay, how are we going to solve this? How are we going to figure this out? How are we going to conquer this? How are we going to accomplish this? Um, to think that farmers don't have to use a lot of mental abilities or mental have a lot of mental faculties is a very 
big misunderstanding. Um, logical, concrete thinking are learned in the garden. Reasoning cause to effect. Already kind of mentioned that. You know, if you don't do A, you are not going to get B. Um, our first strawberry crop, when we did not weed, um, we, that was a very hard cause to effect lesson that we learned. Um, and I could tell you of many others as well. We've, we've not, you know, y cause and effect lie pretty close in the garden, but it's amazing how resilient plants are as well. Here's some more skills. This is our oldest. From the time he was big enough to use a screwdriver or a pliers or anything tool-related, he, um, he was doing it and he was creating. So this is one of the early things. I think he was eight and I was in the house doing dishes and he went flying by on with the lawnmower and you can't tell from the picture, but what he had done is he had a truck that he had taken down simply to the chassis, the four wheels, and the flat top. So no, he had taken off the front, he had taken off the bucket, and he had created for him what we call in the States a sulky, which is what you stand on um, when you're riding behind a, a mower. And most of the time a sulky is attached to the mower so that they kind of flow together, um, but Jonathan had created, this was a self-propelled mower, so if you hold the handle down, it would mow. But he was hardly tall enough to hold the handle down. Um, and so he had created this sulky, which he was riding on. And I tell you, mowing became a whole lot more fun for him. We had a large yard. This is before we started. No, this is not before we started farming. We were farming already. But, um, but he, has, he did all our lawn care from the time he was, well, from the time he could stand where the first bar is. Um, we kind of jerry-rigged the mower so that he could push from the lower bar. So, efficiency. This is a definition. Skillfulness in avoiding wasted time and effort. This is where Jonathan, our son, has excelled and God has taken those gifts and blessed his business. More skills. Ingenuity. The power of creative imagination. Well, I think that picture really fits both of those. Um, creative imagination. Okay, so you have to mow the lawn. You have to do this work. How can I make it fun? He, he was always about fun, too. Um, how can I make it creative? He wasn't thinking about creative. It's just a natural byproduct. Mm. More skills. Working together. Recognizing that everyone has something to contribute. Of course you can learn these skills elsewhere. It's not like the garden is the only place and an agrarian life is the only way. But um, that's what we're here talking about, so we're looking at the benefits of that type of the skills that you can learn. So 
What about academics? This was a hard one for me because I just had the, the mindset that we needed to do all the academics that we would typically be doing in the school setting. And it was impossible for me. As I said in the beginning, I really um, was forced into true education by the Lord. I didn't study it. I had read the book Education, but it was like 10 years prior when I was studying education. Um, and so I was, I was seeking to follow the counsels, and I was reading but there's still a disconnect between reading and applying. I was reading it, but the practical application was really hard for me. And the Lord put in my life, um, fortunately, some very dear friends who were also educators, but in some ways kind of envied the education that our kids were getting from the farm. And a couple of them in particular would often encourage me, often remind me that the education that my children were getting from useful manual labor would be to them a great blessing in the future. And so I kind of hung on to their faith and at times thought, yeah, but your kids are... <laughs> are doing better in school than my kids, and you have more time, and, you know, but there was just this, this um, camaraderie between us. It was actually someone that I had been teaching with years before, and so we were able to encourage one another. Um, but there's a lot. I want to tell you there's a lot of academics that happen without effort in the garden, and it's been interesting to us as we have had apprentices come through and all of our apprentices are 18 or above, it's been interesting to us to see that you give them a simple mathematical something that they need to figure out pertaining to gardening. Okay, we're going to put four, four rows in this bed, and, they're gonna be, and this bed is 30 feet long, and the plant spacing is six inches a plant. How many plants do we need? Run to the greenhouse and get them. And it's been amazing to us to see how many with higher Education in math are stumped at the simple how do you apply it right here, okay? We need this simple thing done. Um, at a young age, our kids could apply the math that they were learning. Uh, they might never have done Algebra two or Trigonometry or Calculus, but when you have mastered the basics, then you can take those basics on to whatever. Whatever. My son is programming a milling machine. I have no idea even how much math you have to understand in order to program a machine to make small parts. Blows my mind. How did you know how to do that? How did you learn? Um, when the foundation is solid, God can build any kind of house on it that he wants. That's an amazing thought. So, l let it take some of the pressure off. So, math. Math can be learned in a very practical way in the garden. Now, it's so easy for parents to do the math, but I want to encourage you, put it to your kids. Yes, it takes longer, but, you know, start small. We have a 12-foot bed. We're going to plant these 
And sorry, I'm just using feet and inches because that's what I know, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So, um, you know, we have this 12-foot bed. We're going to plant them, you know, a foot apart. How many plants are we going to need, you know, and can you go and get them and bring them? Um, science. Again, even apart from a parent's effort, your children will learn so much about nature. Um, the trees. I did not teach my ch- I mean, I wished I could say I taught them all these things. I wished I, we had had a, a, a unit study on trees and we had learned all the trees. That's the kind of teaching I wanted to do. And that's a good kind of teaching. Don't get me wrong, okay? But uh, it was just never in my abilities. So, you know, but guess what we did? We did a lot of cutting wood because that's how we heat our home. And the boys loved it. They would help us. Well, guess what? They learned all the different kinds of trees just from cutting wood or from seeing them fruit or from looking at the bark or from whatever. Observation is an amazing um, teacher. And, you know, John would share or others would share or if I was there, I would share. So it wasn't like they didn't have input, like they were just thrown out to, to learn it themselves. But it's the natural learning about the cycles of cicadas. I don't know if you have them. I don't know what you call them here. But Caleb found, um, since we've been here, a, a tree where there were lots of skins, you know. He had them all over his face. Look, Mom. <laughs> Whoa. Um, but, you know, then you can talk about the life cycle. You know, the internet provides a wonderful tool, a resource for parents. Yeah, we go to the internet. Let's learn about them. You know, but it doesn't have to take a lot of time. And it's not like I plan a lesson on the study of that certain thing. We seize the moment. Um, we just had a, an amazing solar eclipse in the U.S. this summer. We'd never studied eclipses, but as a family, we went online. We saw some neat YouTube videos on solar eclipses and we educated ourselves, and we really enjoyed the solar eclipse. So there's a lot of science that just is the natural byproduct of an agrarian life. Bible is an obvious one. And you know, I don't feel like I had to hammer it into my kids. I think that when you're surrounded by nature, you just sort of start to... Um, well, and I just read a quote in the, in the previous seminar I did, and she uses the words imperceptibly. When you're in nature, you are imperceptibly changed into Christ's image. It doesn't happen quickly. It happens very imperceptibly. That's a slow process. It's not like we wake up and say, oh, wow, I'm perfect. I've arrived. No, I don't believe that that's how we will ever feel. But imperceptibly, um, when we study nature and the Bible, we are imperceptibly changed. And so the lessons um, that you can learn about the Bible, the, le- the spiritual lessons that you can learn from the garden are everywhere. I'll share one with you that I've learned as a parent, and I, I wanted to have a picture of this, but had some, some challenges with my pictures 
I am often the one who does the trellising of tomatoes. Now, the way that we, we do it, because we grow them in a greenhouse or in a hoop house, a covered space, we trellis them to a wire above. So the, uh, in the ideal world, we start from when they're small, and we start clipping them, and they never, we never let them get out of control. <laughs> you just clip them, and it's very simple. It's super simple when you do it right. Well, we're often too busy to do it right, and inevitably, I end up in the tomato house with tomatoes that are sprawling. Now I have to go in and sucker them, cut out all the excess foliage, and when I'm left with just two leaders, they're called, then I have to clip those leaders. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of damage that is done when you don't do the job in a timely fashion. And sometimes I've had those, um, the stem of the tomato so stiff, and you're trying to bend it to go up a wire, and so you're trying to figure out, okay, how can I like bring this around and clip it in a way that it's not going to cause a lot of pressure, and then I maybe clip it up this way, and sometimes I've broken the top off. If you break the top off, that's a bad thing, you know, but I've, I've been known to carry band-aids in my apron and kind of wrap it around and try to, to heal it, you know, to, to keep it together long enough for it to, to reconnect. The parenting lessons that we can learn from trellising tomatoes, don't wait. But if you've waited and it's later, you still can keep guiding, but the way you guide is, has to be more gentle when the plant is already bent on this direction. You could say, no, we're going to come back this way, but you know, you got to really tenderly, carefully, patiently work with that plant to bring it back and clip it. And you know, it's amazing. Sometimes I'll be out of the house for a week, and when I come back, I'll see the tops of those tomatoes just straight up. Lord, thank you. You know, a daily observation, a lesson in what God wants to do in our hearts, what he wants, us, wants to do in the hearts of our children. So when my guys are doing the tomato trellising, they might not be as intentional at thinking those lessons, but I really believe that imperceptibly the lessons are just internalized and the foundation is laid firm. Practical skills, again, this is one that could be very lengthy. And I, I haven't begun to really get into all of the practical skills. But here are a few. That if you're in an agrarian life, this doesn't mean that you're farming, but it means you're living on the land, you are, you know, you, you well, I'll say this. One thing that we haven't kind of mentioned is that this type of life necessitates learning to live on less. You cannot have the same standard of living. And there are people out there who are promoting something different and they have high standards of living and they're doing very well, being very successful farming for a living. But for the most part, I think it's safe to say that it's important to be willing 
to have your standard of living reduced significantly, especially to get it going, um, whether that's a move to the country or that's a change of occupation. So here are some things that I think you kind of have to, you have to do or learn to do in order to save money. So building. Uh, we have built two homes. Um, the first one we built before we were farming, and that's a, a different story. But at, so at one point, we, we changed locations on the farm, and we built in the barn. So we have an upstairs house in the barn. Well, our boys were, Jonathan is our oldest, he was 11 when that happened, and Joshua was, so he would have been nine. Um, those boys had a part to play in every part of the building process. Every part. Uh, were things done as well as they would have if we could have hired someone to do them? Of course not. But it was a barn, and nothing was straight or square, so it was a great place to learn. <laughs> I can remember I, I inspired the boys that they could, we were going to have a sink um, that I just wanted, we had some tile, some old tile, and I said, okay, I really think that you can do this, okay? It can't be that hard, you know? So you just um, build a wooden box that we'll cut a hole in to drop the sink in, and then just, um, you're going to put this tile on this sink, and we're going to mount it to the wall. It was all my ideas, and I believed they could do it, and they didn't think they could, but I just kept saying, I know you can do it. I mean, how hard is it? Mud, tile, okay, just put it on, put it on, we'll put the sink on, it'll all be good. We had two wooden posts in the front that held, well, I mean, we've been in the house, I guess, 11 years, and that sink is still standing, <laughs> has not fallen down. Um, it reminds me of the skills that we enabled our boys to learn by allowing them to be part of the building process. Plumbing and electric, not just in the house, but on the farm. There's a lot of plumbing and irrigation that goes into um, a garden or a farm. Mechanics. If you don't have a mechanical mind, you and you don't have kids, then you just pray that God will give you one with a mechanical mind, and that's what he did to us. My husband is a man of many talents, but I believe because he grew up with um, his nose in a book and in the academic world where he excelled, he was the cookie-cutter kid who fit in perfectly in that environment, he didn't do a lot of the practical things. So when we, when we launched and we started farming, he had never built, he had never done any construction, he hadn't done much plumbing, he had done a little electric, but he hadn't done much, no m real mechanics, except changing the oil maybe. Um, but he has become very skilled at so many things. Now, he still very much dislikes mechanics, <laughs> but um, we have two sons who are very good and very mechanical, and they have been a tremendous blessing to us. Here's some more skills. Use, use of hand tools, um, whether it's constructing, building, whether it's 
farm tools, whether it's whatever, there's a, there's a learning to manage tools. We told our boys um, they could run the chainsaw at a younger age than most people would feel it was safe or wise. We said this, you have to read the manual and you have to understand all the safety precautions. And of course, they never used them alone. John would always go with them, but they did it at different ages. Um, our oldest was all about tools, and so he was 12 and hated reading when he read the manual and got the, the freedom to use a chainsaw. Um, and he and John did all of our woodcutting for so many years. Um, our next boy, he didn't feel the need, and he's not as much about tools, so, you know, he might never have met, read, read the manual. <laughs> he might have just become old enough to be wise enough to handle the tools and have watched his dad and brother. So, use of hand tools. Um, equipment maintenance and repair. There is no end to maintenance and repair of equipment on a farm, whether it's lawnmowers or tractors or weed eaters or whatever. Um, another skill, and I put this as a skill, because I think it really is, not afraid to tackle new things. So even if, uh, even if a young person hasn't learned how to do something, if they grow up really kind of connected to nature and connected to an agrarian type of life, uh, they're undaunted by new things. Whether they've tried it or not, they're willing, willing and ready to tackle it. So, we're winding up, and we will have a few minutes for questions. The most important why is because our faith is stretched and strengthened by working with God in the garden. I don't know if you have monarch butterflies. Do you have them here? You know, in the U.S., they're, they're becoming um, very scarce, um, it used to be that this time of year, which is fall for, uh, well, I guess we're past fall now, but in the fall, we would often find these on our farm, um, just as they had spun their cocoon. And many, many, many times, we would bring them in, and um, as you see, we would tape it to, to two jars, mason jars, and suspend it, and watch that amazing miracle of transformation. I can't think of many more object lessons in nature that show a more remarkable um, transformation than the, the butterfly. And so we would, you know, we would see them in the garden as, you know, just the worm, so to speak, and then they spin that cocoon. But then... We, we got to the point where we were so familiar with the cycle that we knew when it would emerge. And that's an amazing thing to watch and observe. So again, it just takes us back to the things you learn. That's amazing spiritual lessons and amazing science class firsthand. I love this quote. This is from the chapter on the life of Christ as a child, which is one of my favorites when it comes to parenting 
This is where the, the, our parenting motto also came from. This is child guidance, but I believe that the original source is Desire of Ages. He, his, Jesus, education was gained from heaven-appointed sources. Isn't that amazing? Heaven-appointed sources. From useful work, from the study of the scriptures, from nature, and from the experiences of life. God's lesson books full of instruction to all who bring to them the willing hand, the seeing eye, and the understanding heart. So I think that kind of summarizes it. Do you see anywhere where it says, okay, um, the appointed education means you need to sit behind this desk for four hours today so that I can mark off that we've done that. No, heaven's appointed sources of education are useful work. Useful, not just busy work. Useful work. The study of the scriptures and the study of nature and the experiences of life. If you give your children a full life, the experiences of life are going to teach them unnumbered lessons. Then you have this foundation. You know, if God wants to build a different kind of house on that foundation, you have the foundation for whatever house he wants to build. If that's a house of service in tool design, like one of mine, great. Or in, you know, videography, great. He can give you whatever skills. And I love um, when, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were going to build the sanctuary, the Bible is very clear that God gave Bezalel the talents needed to craft the sanctuary in the wilderness. He didn't come into the wilderness. There's nothing that gives us the idea that he came into the wilderness with the tools needed to construct that ark. I mean, not the ark, the sanctuary. But God gave him the tools. And so I really believe that if, you, if we follow this and you apply it in the context of the garden, that you'll have a very well-rounded education for your children. We have time for just a few questions, if anybody has. Otherwise, I know people wouldn't mind having a little extra break. <laughs> this is a lot. Any questions? Comments? Okay, good question. So she's just um, citing Solomon, who says there's a time for everything, a time for, you know, everything has a season. She's asking, how, how many hours did you really devote to book work? You know, so much depends on the age of the child. Um, and even some the aptitude of the child. You know, some children catch on to things very quickly, academically, and some catch on very slowly, academically. 
And so I really think it's important to be in tune with where your child is at um, at an early age. See, and it depends on what you think of as book work. Um, because I think doing the dishes after breakfast is school. You know, it's not school. It's life. We live a life of education. We live a life of learning. Um, but I, I always was faithful with the three R's. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. And if you are faithful with those three R's during the elementary years, all of the rest will come. Like we would read together science books. We would read together social studies books. But I never just like put those in the hands of my kids and said, here, read it. Um, it was more something that we would do together. And mealtime, I mean, we talked about mealtime this morning. Mealtime is an educational time. My husband loves words. So if some different word comes up or if he uses a word that nobody understands, it's not unlike him to pull out his phone and look it up in the dictionary and, okay, here's what this word means. Or we talk about some place in the world. So it's just about the fact, how do you, how do you pull together, you know, how much time learning is happening. Learning should be happening from the time your child wakes up until they go to bed. Sitting down and being in the books is going to vary. But I would say two hours should be sufficient for most young children, and, and it might be much less than that. Or it could be more. It just, you know, some kids love the books. I mean, it was a struggle for me with every one of my children. What my, my second born, when I told them we were going to start school, and he was almost eight or seven, I mean, he just cried and said, this is going to ruin my life. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, um, and it's not that there wasn't learning going on, but at that point I was saying, here's some books that we are going to go through. And, um, yeah. So I don't know if that answers, but, but I think for the elementary years, between two and four hours max, um, music might be part of that. Um, meal preparation might be part of that. You know, where's gardening fit in? Gardening needs to be a part of that. But we didn't, like, assign it as school. It was just life, and there was book work. We had to do the book work. That was the, what we had to do. Anybody else? Any other launching questions? Mine are launching so we have chosen, I, I wouldn't say we've chosen. We have, we have seen the wisdom for ourselves in owning our own business and have encouraged that bent with our children. We never told any of them that they couldn't go to university, but we were also not pushing it. And from a young age, we encouraged entrepreneurship I'm going to be speaking a little bit later on entrepreneurship. Um, have a real passion for that. Um, so all of our children have chosen a road less traveled. But um, interesting that the skill set that they have, I think, is so much more than what I had. And I went through all the system, through my BS degree, 
my husband through his master's degree, but I see them as so much more well-rounded and so much more capable and very sought after for their skills, their skill set. Whether you have the paper or not is not so important as the foundational skill set that you have. Yes. Yes. So the question is, or the comment is just that um, in Australia here, there is a requirement to register your children, and th they require a certain amount of book work. Um, do they call it book work? Oh, well, you just get the Mm-hmm. And do you show them your textbooks? Yeah. Uh-huh, so the textbooks are being shown. So let me just give you a couple of thoughts there from a teacher's perspective. From a teacher's perspective, when I was in the classroom, we were also given our curriculum. But the curriculum is never to guide. The teacher is to guide. And you don't push the curriculum in the classroom. Yes, you, have, you do have, you know, you have superintendents who are over you who want to know how far you're getting in your book, and I think there's some requirements that you need to get this far. But even as a teacher, I was one, and I think it, it, it's true, a good teacher is going to pick and choose. They're not going to think that we can actually go from the beginning, the front cover to the back cover, it's an unrealistic expectation because sometimes, if that's your goal, then your goal may not be learning. Your goal may be accomplishing that text. So that's one thing. Even though you have required texts, never forget that you are the teacher and you set the pace according to what the child can handle. Um, we also have to be registered um, we're blessed in that there are registering organizations that we can use in the U.S., and I imagine that there are here as well, that are Christian-based. And we have one, actually, that's in Tennessee where I live, and they have been very influenced by Raymond Moore. I don't know if any of you have read Raymond Moore's books, Better Late Than Early, um, they are very influenced by him. And so, for example, I, I um, counted Joshua for, um, for one credit of agriculture, and I listed all the things he was going to be responsible for, managing the market, managing all of our wholesale accounts, um, being the harvester manager. I just listed all the things he would be responsible for, and when I, when I sent that in to them, they sent back and said, for all that you've listed, he should get a minimum of two high school credits for this. Thank you. We'd gladly take them, <laughs> you know. So we have been blessed in that. So I would just say this too, and I, don't, I think it's important to be under the law and to do what's right by registering. But even in a classroom, if you take a field trip, that's counted as class time in the U.S., in other words, your 180 days, you might include a trip to a farm, or you might include, so be, what I'm really trying to say is be broad in your thinking of education. 
Books are a part of education, but books are not education. Does that make sense? Okay, this will be the last one. Or you'll... Okay. Very good. Yeah, so, so it was just mentioned that, um, and I think it's a wonderful idea, educate the, the superintendent of schools or your inspector. Share with them. Help them to understand your goals of education and never forget that you are setting the pace for your children's education. And do it as closely, you know, you be, you're under the law, but with as much... Um, freedom as, as you possibly can. All right, thank you for your time. Let's just close in prayer. Father in heaven, you are the master teacher, and we recognize that the place that you seem to come closest to us is in the garden. And so I just pray that we would each one be encouraged to press forward with our young children or with our older children to a higher standard of what education really is. Education is not just an accomplishment of books. Education is learning how to learn. Education is learning to know you and to know your will. And so may we never forget that true education is a coming to know you, the great and mighty and wise Father. In Jesus' name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.